You're listening to a podcast by the Center for Action and Contemplation. To learn more, visit cac.org. Greetings, uh, I'm Jim Finley. Welcome to Turning to the Mystics. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to our time here together, turning for guidance to the Christian mystic, Meister Eckhart. One of the patterns that we've seen in the teachings of the mystics that they all share and express each in his or her own way is the importance of doing our homework and grounding ourselves in psychological spiritual maturity. Because the mystical dimensions of experiencing, understanding, and responding to God's oneness with us arises out of the ordinariness of our lives, out of the substance of the ordinariness of things, of just who we are day by day. And so Eckhart uh, ex- expresses this first, uh, at the, at the level of human experience, in which he responds to a series of questions presented to him. Why do you love God? I don't know, because of God. Why do you love the truth? Because of the truth. Why do you love justice? Because of justice. Why do you love goodness? Because of goodness. Why do you live? My word, I do not know, but I'm happy to live, he says. So I I think here a lesson that he bears witness to in himself, and he invites us to uh, be faithful to, is knowing just that life, for all of its troubles, for all of its troubles, that it's a gift to be alive and real in the world, that it's a gift. And we should honor that gift, therefore, and watch over it and be responsible for it and uh, fidelity to the gift of life itself. But notice, too, there's a subtle point here in this passage. Because when he says, why do you love God? He says, I don't know. Then answers, because of God. And then at the very end, why do you live? He says, my word, I don't know. But I'm glad to be alive. So he's suggesting that in the gift of life itself and in the gift of our love for God, there's something in the love of God, our love for God, that we don't know. And there's something in the gift and the miracle of our life that we don't know. My word, I don't know. This I don't know is going to be very important for Eckhart. The mystery of the I don't know in the hidden depths of what we do know. A second aspect, I think, of Eckhart on building these foundations of uh, psychological spiritual maturity is found in the beginnings of the first sermon and the collected sermons, uh, the Advent sermon. Meister Eckhart bears witness that along with being grateful for the gift of being alive, that it's important that we become an introspective, reflective person, like know thyself. We know thyself, that we, there's a kind of a meditative attentiveness to the, uh, the inner uh, architecture or the interiority of ourself, that we become aware of that and responsible for it and aware of it. And so Eckhart, in regards to that, writes, Whatever the soul affects, she affects with her powers. What she understands, she understands with the intellect. 
what she remembers, she does that with the memory. If she would love, she does that with the will. And thus she works with her powers and not with her essence. Every external act is linked with the end with, with some means. I'd like to reflect on this passage. So in the powers, this is this is a classical way of understanding the interiority of ourselves that we it was very pervasive throughout the Middle Ages. We see it in all the mystics. It kind of runs through the background of their teachings. So the power is, a, is the power to understand refers then to our understanding self and all that it understands. And uh, with memory it refers to our remembering self and all that our remembering self remembers. And with love it refers to our loving self and all that we love. And that's how we work with our powers. But then he says, and we should be grateful for the powers because it's the gift of being alive. It's the human experience. We're using the powers right now by talking and reflecting and thinking and so on. He says, but we're, we work with our powers, but not with our essence. So the essence is the hidden thing and the I don't know about why we love to be alive and in the love of God, because uh, what's hidden is the essence of ourself, which is deeper than the powers. It, that it's kind of beyond, it's qualitatively beyond what the powers can attain, what thought can comprehend, what words can say, what remember, what, beyond memory, because it's timeless and so on. I'd like to give a hint about the essence she sometimes refers to as the spark of the soul, and more often we'll see as the ground of the soul. And I might have shared this in one of the, our previous reflections together, I, I can't recall. Um, you know, when parents uh, give the, the newborn infant, in terms of its powers, it's powerless. The developmental stages of emerging into conscious reflective adult hasn't even begun yet. It's like the essence of limit, it's so powerless. And yet in its powerlessness, when they clasp the infant to their breast, they're smitten by the infant. There's something precious about the presence of the infant that they don't understand and they don't need to understand it because it's not understandable in terms of their powers. And what's fascinating also is not, it isn't just that in clasping the infant in this way as the essence, the essence transcending their powers awakens the essence in them. And it awakens in them that which is capable of recognizing the essence. And the infant reveals them to themselves as a mystery or a gift they, they, beyond what they can comprehend like this. It isn't just that they know that uh, if they were to die in the act of saving the life of this infant, they would die in the truth. But they would know that if they would die in the truth, this essence within themselves has a deathless quality that wouldn't die. And it's also true at the other end, when we're at the deathbed of a dying parent, for example. And in their final moments, they're so, the powers are diminishing, they're just like falling away like this. And yet when we sit with them at their bedside, there's something shines out something unexplainable and deathless and boundaryless and beautiful. 
and to be in the presence of the dying loved one, the essence is revealed, the preciousness, which being in their presence reveals the preciousness of ourself beyond our own powers. And we're in the presence of something we cannot understand. And for a moment, it delivers us from the confines of the understandable. As if human understanding or human desire has the final say in what we're capable of. Because there's something we're not capable of that shines out in these moments. I think another example of this, too, would be that for, the, for an artist, or for, uh, is that for the artist, there is in the craft of art that which they do understand. They know it by heart. They practice it. It's the discipline of it. There is, there is that about art. They can't just magically go and sit down and do a painting. It takes internalizing through their powers. You have to exercise their power. And yet, they learn by experience, as long as they remain within what they're capable of bringing forth, it's not yet art that somehow something they're not capable of bringing forth brings itself forth through them and their surrender to it. And they recognize it when it's happening and it graces them. So too with poets. So too with these, all these transformative acts. They, they, they start out in the powers and they're the powers that kind of come to the edge of themselves into a hidden essence that shines out through and transcends the powers. Eckhart's trying to invite us to become sensitive to this. Another way of saying it, I think, that in these moments where this hidden essence uh, beyond the power shines forth, that in these moments when it's actually occurring, we might say that we're a momentary mystic when this happens. That it isn't just that we're in the presence of God, but somehow a primordial, boundaryless presence is presencing itself and giving itself to us as our very presence, shining forth and transcending the powers of ourself to recollect what's happening to us, even while it happens. It delivers us from the claustrophobic, one-dimensional world of uh, which the powers are capable, are a gift, they're a gift. But compared to this boundaryless divinity, we see that they're infinitely less than what the soul longs to realize. There's another way of saying this, intuition that lies at the heart of Eckhart's teachings. I think that he invites us to ponder, and he bears witness to it in his sermons just by the way he talks, is that the, the abyss-like depths of God, the secret thing that we're talking about, the abyss-like depths of God, is by the generosity of God given to us as the abyss-like depths of ourself. That if we think of God as generosity, we are the generosity of God. We are the generosity of God because God gives this very ground of God, the boundaryless infinity, unknowable ground of God, by God, by the generosity of God, gives that to us. So Eckhart says, God's ground is my ground and my God is God's ground. So there's already a communion in the ground of oneness. And I think, too, I think this is worth noting, too. Notice that he joined the Dominicans. He was a professor at the University of Paris. He taught theology there. And you can read his Latin writings, scripture commentaries. And, and Eckhart kind of shines through those. But in theology, he called this indicative speech. Indicative speech is the language that states what is. 
So in indicative theology, like in the creed, we say God is eternal, God is love, God is trinity, God is mercy, and so on. We can explore the history of those ideas and through the Latin fathers and the Greek fathers and how we understand in scripture and so on. But in the sermon, he says it's, it's imperative speech. An imperative speech is not, doesn't state what is. It's a language addressed directly to the heart in the midst of a great turning. That somehow there's like a, a metamorphosis of the subjectivity itself going beyond its own powers into this ground. Meister Eckhart, he's speaking of this awakening. And he says, you know, this awakening of which I speak, he said, you might experience it before you leave church here today. He said, you might experience it in the midst of this sermon. And I think for us too, in following the mystics in the podcast, see, is, is this, this is imperative speech. So this, this intimate realization of this unitive ground might uh, be well up in me as I speak of it. And intimations of it may well up in you as you listen to it. See? They were bonded together in a residence of a kind of an interconnected state of the oneness of which we speak. An unexplainable oneness, but we can we, we we sense that we're we're graced by it when it occurs. Like this. Another way of looking at this, for Eckhart also is important, is that you know on this on this life there is the gift of our humanity, there is the gift of our powers, our understanding, our loving, our willing, our feeling, all of that, and there is also the gift of these powers illumined by faith, illumined by faith. He was a, a priest, he's a Christian, speaking in churches of, of faith. So he says that when through faith we hear in Jesus telling us or in the scriptures that God loves us, through the power of the Spirit who dwells in our hearts, we're empowered to know and have an understanding that God does love us which is the gift of faith. It's an obscure certainty in our heart. Gabriel Marcel says it's a primitive inner assurance. It's the understanding of devotional sincerity that the believer lives by. They can't explain, but they live by. But it is a kind of understanding. They can talk about it in spiritual direction or share it. They can reflect upon it, deepen it through Lexio Divina, and so on. And so... Uh, we, we live this life of faith, which are the powers illumined by grace, the essence of which is love. God is love. And when we die and pass through the veil of death, we move from a veiled oneness with God to an unveiled oneness with God in glory. To live God's life as infinitely as God lives God's infinite life in our eternal nothingness without God. And as we've seen throughout these talks, what happens with some people is that God decides not to wait until they're dead to begin to grant them unveiled glory. So they're in their powers, they're still here in the midst of time, but in the midst of their powers, in the midst of time, they're granted a, a, a deep realization of an unveiled oneness, but it's veiled because it's obscure, it's subtle, primitive, deep, vast, and true. And Eckhart's sermons are encouraging us to be open and receptive to the ways that we've experienced intimations that that's happening to us, how to discern what's happening, how to be faithful to it, and how to um, open ourselves 
to it. Here's the thing that Maestro, this is very close to the Buddha, to the teachings of the Buddha on the noble truth of suffering and the origins of suffering. Uh, but he's saying that, look, we're living in the powers, our understanding, our thoughts, our memories, our emotions, and so on. Our powers are illumined by faith. They're illumined by faith. And this illumination of faith, there is this awareness of the ground. The ground of God is given. There's like an awareness of it, like an intuition, like you're hearing of it right now, like it poetically rings true. It's like it's a lovely thought. It's a lovely thought. There's, there's, it's a gift to be touched by the beauty of that thought. But he's saying that what happens here is, uh, but what hides the fullness of the realization is possessiveness of heart. That the, that, that the powers lay claim on us as having the final say in who we are. And there's this deep sense that we have that somehow we're real all by ourselves. Like I'm, I'm, my bodily self and me, I'm right here, I'm real. And I'm capable of attaining things and losing things and acquiring things. I have a history and a story. This is me. And that um, substantiality of this perceived separate sense of myself uh, cuts off access to this ground of this luminous uh, thing of God uh, being infinitely poured out and being given away. Another way of saying it is the infinite presence of God is presencing the infinity of itself in and as the gift and the miracle of the intimate immediacy of our very presence the presence of others, and the presence of all things and our nothingness without God. So that if we think of God as generosity, we are the generosity of God. We are the song that God sings. It's just divinity in all directions. That the world is God's body, that it bodies forth the love that's uttering it into being. But the powers to possessiveness of heart, this separate, this deep sense that we all have, which is why we're afraid of dying, or why we're afraid of that I'm nothing but the self things happen to. And Eckhart is saying what we're trying to grow into is if I'm even capable of attaining it or losing it, it's infinitely less than what puts to rest the longings of my heart, which is this oneness. So here's, here's he's trying to help us get an image of this so we can see this, and this will help move us in towards understanding the path of Meister Eckhart. Meister Eckhart is speaking about an image in a mirror. An image is not of itself, nor is it for itself. It has its origin in that of which it is the image. To that it belongs properly with all that it is. It does not belong to what is foreign to this origin, nor does it owe anything to this. An image receives its being immediately from that of which it is an image. It has one being with it, and it's the same being. Every image has two properties. The first is that it receives its being immediately from that of which it is an image, without interference of the will. Its outgoing is indeed natural, and it thrusts itself out of nature like a branch from a tree. When an image is cast on the mirror, our face will be reflected in it whether it likes it or not. I'd like to reflect on this. Uh, the poetic image of this is imagine you're standing, looking at yourself for a full-length mirror. And imagine this full-length image of yourself has been through a lot of therapy, uh, has been a lot of retreats, has thought through a lot of things. And it's realized it's time to launch out on its own. 
that it no longer needs you. You try to explain to the image that it wouldn't go well for it because it's an image of you. So it's not going to go well for it without, without you. See, I, I, you're an image of me, and you're going to go off on your own. This isn't going to work. And the image says, no, you're trying to hold me back. You're trying to hold me back. I'm, I'm going to go off and be this autonomous self and find my destiny. And so to demonstrate your point to the image, you step halfway off the edge of the mirror and half the image disappears. It has a panic attack, has to go back on Xanax, goes back into therapy and says to the therapist, I'm not real, I'm not real. Now the image is real, it just isn't real in the way I thought that it was real. And Eckhart says we're like that. It's not that we're not real, we're real, but we're not real the way we tend to imagine that we're real. See, we imagine that we're real as separate and unto ourselves, without realizing we are the manifestations of infinite love giving itself to us as our very life in our nothingness without God. So Eckhart says, if this is our understanding of ourself, that is, if these images, which he shares in his sermons, if they, if they give us a kind of a, an interior understanding of our situation, in our search for ultimate fulfillment and what hinders us from realizing that fulfillment. What is the path along which this fulfillment is to be realized? That is, what is the way of life? And, and here I get a sense too that, I, get, I think this is true of all these mystics, you get the feeling when we listen to Eckhart, you read his sermons out loud, or you just read him, sit with his words, his insights. You get the feeling not only has he found his way to this. See, what is the, Eckhart says, how do I find my way to the joy that death does not have the power to destroy, he says. And that joy that death does not have the power to destroy is the deathless joy of God, the ground given to us as the depths of our own ground. So how do I find my way to it? Because the powers, the possessiveness of heart, this ribbon through the powers is hindering me from finding my way to that. And therefore, he suggests to us then a path. And what's interesting with him, the two things about Eckhart. One, again, he was not cloistered, like Thomas Merton or Teresa of Avila or Guido II. He was out in the midst of the busy, he, he came to all this in the midst of the world, the demands of the academy at the University of Paris. He had administrative duties. He was also spiritual director of guidance for people. And uh, it was in the midst of all this, there was also accusations of, against him for heresy. There's a series of trials going on. And by the way, Reiner Sherman points out, he thinks this is at the heart of these trials, is that the, the, the theologians who are critiquing his work, there were other issues too involved in this, political issues. They thought he was speaking indicatively. They thought he was saying like theology. And he, they, he said, no, they don't realize I'm speaking imperatively like poetry, like Jesus spoke, call it, follow me. Jesus didn't give lectures. He told stories and modeled forth a way to be like this. And he says, there can, he, it was, since that was at the heart of their, it was all part of his story. So. so this is possible for us in the midst of the world. You have your life, I have mine. Uh, the cell phones go off, all kinds of crazy things happen. <laughs> And so how do we find our way to this in the midst of all this, uh, com these complexities? 
And for him, he says, what this is really, and we're going to look at this next in the next talk, then, is what this is, he said, it's a path of detachment. That's what it is. And here is a very brief setting by detachment would mean this. The intention is not to let the conditions you're living in have the final say in determining the conditions of your innermost sense of the depths of your heart. Likewise, no matter how past conditions have been internalized through traumas, abandonments, and the unresolved matters of your heart, do not let those unresolved things that you go through, the things you're still trying to sort out and get past, don't let them hinder the deep inner abiding of this deep depth of yourself that's utterly beyond and totally is ribbon through those very things. Don't, don't get stopped where something has the authority to name who you are because you know that only love has the authority to name who you are. Eckhart would say, our, one problem is that we tend to absolutize the relative. We absolutize the contingency and we relativize the absolute. So we have it upside down. We're trying to turn it up. We're trying to get things in this priority of the, the ultimacy of love transcending, utterly permeating and giving itself to us unexplainably forever, breath by breath by breath. So uh, what he does then, it's a very practical mysticism. He's going to give a litany of real practical examples of ways we all trip up. And he, he kind of sheds light on them and then suggests a way to practice a meditative, uh, and here is the word galazenheit. The word galazenheit, the root word of the word galazenheit is to be released, to be released, to let be. So we're to be released from all that hinders us from finding our way to the joy that death does not have the power to destroy. And so the attachment happens in the, in the uh, immediacy of daily life, the little tripping points in our heart, and he points them out. How we're to recognize them, accept ourselves in them, and take a deep breath and ask for the grace to breathe through them and beyond them to the love sustaining us unexplainably, transcending the tripping place, even as we're tripping. You know, in the fifth century, when St. Benedict first started monastic life, someone asked him, what do you monks do in the monastery all day? And St. Benedict said, fall down and get up, fall down and get up, fall down and get up. That the, the tripping place, the falling place, if we let it, if we let it, the tripping place is where the frailty, uh, deeply accepted, is realized we're falling into oceanic mercy, taking us to itself as invincibly precious in our wayward ways. It's the unwavering love that utterly permeates the wavering ways of our heart and the ways of this world. So he gives very practical uh, points about strategies of the heart to do this. Another example I have of this is say you love someone very, very, very much, like the, the beloved, the dear friend, the brother, the sister, someone you're really, really close to. And let's say in the honesty of the relationship, you, you realize you're extra, because of your love for this person, you're very solicitous to not intentionally do anything that would cause them distress or hurt. And notice these things that cause stress or hurt might be internalized patterns in your heart, 
withholding closeness, being quick to anger, pretending that you're really listening and you're really not, whatever. And so you're aware of these patterns that compromise the union that you long for. You accept them and actively work on being released from them, galazonite. And what you find as you go through this, as the weeks and months and years go by, as it ripens, which will be the point of the next talk also, is what he calls the birth of the word in the soul. And the birth of the word in the soul is the experiential realization of this infinite love welling up through, transcending and wholly permeating the moment just as it is, the the galazenheit, the freedom of the birth of the word in the soul. So, well, in there, well, in there. And so let's, um, as usual, let's um, end with a sitting. I invite you to sit straight and fold your hands and bow. Repeat after me. Be still and know I am God. Be still and know I am. Be still and know. Be still. Be.
and bow. We'll slowly say the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Mary, Mother of Contemplatives, pray for us. Meister Eckhart, pray for us. Mechtel de Magdeburg, pray for us. Bless us. Thank you for listening to this episode of Turning to the Mystics, a podcast created by the Center for Action and Contemplation. We're planning to do episodes that answer your questions. So if you have a question, please email us at podcasts at cac.org or send us a voicemail at cac.org forward slash voicemails. All of this information can be found in the show notes. We'll see you again soon. Do you feel called to walk a more contemplative path? The Center for Action and Contemplation is an educational nonprofit supporting the journey of inner transformation. Our programs and resources will help grow your consciousness, deepen your prayer practice, and strengthen your compassionate engagement with the world. Learn more about our resources, such as publications, podcasts, email series, and events at www.cac.org.